Okay, um, so good morning, everyone, and welcome to the latest in a series of uh, an extensive series of webinars that we've been running. My name is James Pitcher. Uh, I'm uh, I, I manage the uh, FS Club at ZN. Um, I'd like uh, I'm, uh, first of all uh, thank our sponsors, um, without whom this and many of the other webinars would not be possible. There's a little view of some of those uh, on the screen there, so thank you for those. Um, you're going to hear very little from me at the outset today, uh, other than just to go through the logistics for the next half an hour or so, uh, and to introduce our excellent speaker today, uh, and then to chair any questions. Um, and I suspect, given today's fascinating topic uh, and insights, that there's going to be quite a few, so I'm looking forward to it. Um, so by way of the agenda, it's very brief, I think at 11, uh, 11 o'clock to 11.05 has been quite generous, I won't, I won't spend too long. Um, but if you would like to submit questions while Michael uh, is talking, which uh, you might well want to do, please do so by accessing the, the box on the top right-hand corner of your screen. I will see those come through and, and facilitate the answering of those questions uh, at the end. And we are going to leave plenty of time uh, for those questions. Just a note also um, that we are recording uh, the full webinar as we have been doing with the, uh, the dozens that we've done already uh, and uh, this will be posted on our uh, ZN and FS Club websites within the uh, next uh, 24 hours probably. So um, I'm delighted to say that we've got Michael Hoddy uh, today who's director and co-founder of the Technium Global or TTG. Uh, I know that uh, Michael is, is a passionate advocate in helping clients and uh, uh, find effective solutions and he advises on all aspects of information technology, security, and, uh, and tech innovation. His talk today focuses on hostile profiling, a subject that you may have heard of, but perhaps like me, um, not really aware of how you know organizations and companies actually use this to help minimize risk, improve security, and, and so on and so forth. So um, again, I said very little from me. Michael, I know, is uh, going to supply his details uh, on the slide, the final, his final slide, um, and obviously that will then be on our website. And he's very comfortable and happy that if anyone wants to call or contact him directly in any way afterwards uh, uh, to do so. So, um, without further ado, you'll hear a little bit more from me at the end with the questions. But I'm going to hand over to uh, Michael. Thank you, Michael. James, thank you so much. And um, excuse me. Good morning, everyone. And uh, as James said, welcome to today's webinar. Um, I'm delighted to be afforded this opportunity to. Uh, meet with you all today and present to you why people do hostile profiling. Um, it's an interesting topic, as James said, and it's getting increasing uh, focus in the marketplace. It's uh, in the cybersecurity industry is, is, is rife with a, a number of different uh, type of focuses at the moment. But um, in the time that we have available to us today, um, I promise to share with you our experiences um, and help give you some clarity, uh, I hope, on what hostile profiling is and also where to get help should you want or need it. Um, as, um, as James said, I'm Michael Hoddy, and um, some of you may be asking, um, you know, what is hostile profiling, hostile profiling rather, sorry. It's really a niche but growing an important um, part of the uh, market for companies and organizations that are looking to uh, understand more about their risk posture and, and take appropriate steps and measures to manage that risk. Um, so, you know, how did I get into uh, hostile profiling? Well, I think um, it's fair to say that it wasn't a conscious career decision. Um, and I, I suppose really the trigger 
uh, as to why I got into hostile profiling was as a result of a, of a, of a, of a, of a previous working experience when I worked for a, a large company uh, some years ago. And it was really through a quite unbelievable series of, uh, of random events that, that, that came to pass that, frankly speaking, would, uh, would in fact uh, do justice to a very fine work of fiction. When, we, when I and my colleagues uh, found out that a trusted and respected a colleague that we'd worked with for over two years was in actual fact not who, who they said they were, um, was actually still working for their previous employer and was actually engaged by their previous employer to work for my then employer uh, inside my then employer's and still secrets about uh, my then employer's commercial activities. Um, this individual, as I say, had been, um, you know, my, the, the, the company that we both worked for at the time, uh, employed very robust uh, 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 you know, kind of a recruitment and HR processes and policies and still maintained uh, a very robust security posture. So the question came to mind, well, well hang on, this is, this is a massive shock and clearly you know, a great sense of, of surprise and not least a, a huge breach of trust uh, in the sense that you know, this was something I'd worked with extensively and trusted implicitly um, in terms of their, their area of expertise. It really posed questions in my mind as to how on earth um, this had been possible. Uh, and that probably was one of the key trigger points that set me on my path. Um, so without much further ado, James, um, perhaps we can move to the next slide. So uh, not sure how many of you are, are, are pretty good on your Russian, uh, but, uh, but Dovrain or Provrain, trust but verify. Um, Famously, or infamously, some may say made, uh, made a popular saying by Ronald Reagan. Um, but what's quite interesting about that, it was never Ronald Reagan's saying. It's a very uh, centuries-old Russian proverb, and a proverb, by the way, that, um, that I think has a lot of resonance with today's society, because when you bear in mind that uh, the KGB at one point may well have indeed uh, used, this, uh, used this, uh, this saying as well as part of their kind of mantra. Um, I think it's the fact that humans' natural um, inclination is to ignore warnings um, until problems become too big to ignore. And I think that's one of the big challenges that we have when trust is issued uh, and given to um, people and companies that you that you work with and do business with. I think that the uh, you know one thing I'd just say about this: just picture yourself at the moment in a virtual meeting, colleagues and clients that you trust. Typically, that trust is earned over a period of time. Uh, by behaviours, actions, and and and, uh, and results, um, and I think that you know what this saying states quite clearly is that you know we should not we're not advocating a removal of trust, but we're saying that where you want to afford trust to people uh, and, and and groups of people and companies, you should verify whether that trust is well placed. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, so what are we going to talk about today? Um, what is hostile profiling? Why do hostile profiling? Why now, more than any other time? And how legal is hostile profiling? And probably more importantly, uh, over all of this, what benefit will we get from conducting hostile profiling? Next slide, please. So what is hostile profiling? Well, essentially, hostile profiling is what criminals and state actors do in order to build a picture of what you, your family and organization looks like. It's effectively uh, what we call the pattern of life. Um, and it's looking at um, the weak spots, uh, uh, your, your lifestyle, hobbies, habits, um, dislikes, um, pressure points, uh, and areas where they can compromise you. 
Uh, and uh, if we go to the next slide, please, um, Morgan. Um, and again, I'll, I'll hasten to add that uh, any uh, physical similarity between the uh, the character on this screen and, and your and your presenter are, are, are just a, 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 an unfortunate coincidence. But uh, what I would say is that um, why do uh, criminal actors and uh, criminal organisations and state actors conduct hostile profiling? Well, it's very very simple. They want to find out how they can compromise you and monetize you by finding out things of value. Uh, and things of value are quite often physical things, but also virtual things as well. Uh, and they may not be necessarily things of value that matter to you, but they could well indeed matter to the parties that are looking to use um, the information that they get from you for, ne for nefarious purposes. Next slide, please. Um, so this is almost like a Christmas gift that keeps giving. Um, I, I actually took these um, shots the other day. Um, when I was actually um, in, in my local high street, and uh, I walked past this gentleman. So just as an example about how things can be sometimes very, very targeted with intent, and sometimes they, uh, you know, criminals can act with a, a sense of opportunity. Um, this gentleman was, um, was working for a large, well-known company. Uh, thankfully, his details are blotted, uh, the company's details are blotted out on the screen, so you can't see who he was working for. He was sat in a coffee shop uh, in my high street. Nothing wrong with that, except that he had his back to the window. I walked past him over a 25-minute period going about my business, and I, uh, I shoulder-surfed and took screenshots over his shoulder every single time I went past. Um, and he wasn't even aware that I was doing it. And it's perfectly legal to do this as well, I hasten to add. So I think, um, you know, you know, if I was a, if I was a, 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 a criminal intent, you know, I could have quite easily found something that uh, would have, uh, would have uh, determined, uh, you know, the fact that we've got something of value potentially being taken here. Uh, when this gentleman's going about his lawful business, I'm completely unaware, as I say before, that uh, something was, um, you know, something was going on in the background. Um, next slide, please. So why should you do hostile profiling? Well, I think it's fair to say that most of us would agree that we would like to understand where our weak spots are and how your organisation or indeed yourself could well be compromised. And I think it's important as well that in the, you know, when we see more and more cases of um, uh, cyber criminals, um, increasingly becoming more and more creative and more and more active in uh you know impacting uh people and organizations with uh online fraud for example it's important to find out how criminals can monetize you surely it's important to understand you know if you know to kind of paraphrase uh, uh the, the great uh, chinese philosopher Sun Tzu, if you know the enemy know thyself i mean surely it's important to understand we would argue uh if you know what the enemy is likely to do to attack you then you can take, take appropriate steps and measures proactively to, to minimise the damage that may be done to you. Um, next slide, please. And, and why now? I think that you, you know I'm not going to go into the um, you know, I'm not going to go into the kind of a, the very obvious thing that obviously we're going through significant periods of profound change at the moment with the advent of the pandemic. Uh, that's that's now known as COVID-19, of course. Um, but I think that what's quite clear to all of us is that. You know, not only has the way in which we've worked historically changed, but, you know, events are changing around at a rapid rate of knots, and criminal actors, quite frankly, are changing and, and modifying and improving their methods of, of approach and attack. I think that with this fundamental change that's taking place around us as we, as, as we see it right now, I think that, um, you know, there, there needs to be perhaps a, a, a new approach to the way in which people take a proactive stance in ensuring that the criminals don't uh, attack you and get access to things of value. I think that's probably really important. And uh, again, as we said, new hybrid ways of working or working from home means increasingly as well, I should add, 
that um that we're seeing uh, more and more of our of, of, of our people assets are, are increasingly being isolated working in their home environment and that's somewhere that we're seeing criminal actors are increasingly targeting um people to as i say get access to to information and and, and things of value next slide please what benefits would you get from hostile profiling? Well, I think, to be frank, um, you know, knowing what the criminals see and then understanding, uh, you know, where you can maybe take steps to uh, rectify uh, weaknesses or minimize uh, damage is clearly uh, something that is to be firmly recommended. And I think it's important to stress as well that this is a service that we provide. It's not a product. Um, every, every engagement that we do with clients is bespoke to that particular client, whether that be an individual or indeed a, a company. Excuse me, and I think that the service is only limited, as we say, by time and by imagination. I think that what's probably quite critical is that one of the biggest challenges is that when when we shine a light on what we find through open source intelligence gathering or OSINT, which uh, incidentally, um, coming back to the uh, one of the points further down below, um, you know, OSINT is um, is 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 accessing uh, and analysing uh, data. From perfectly open, uh, open source and, and legal um, uh, areas uh, on, on the internet, um, acting on the on, on the profile that we present will increase your resilience. Not acting upon it, frankly speaking, will probably leave you open to having things of value taken away from you um, in, in, in a very unpleasant manner. But I think that what's also important about hostile profiling um, is completely passive; it's undetectable. Um, I've referenced the fact that earlier on that it's it's legal. Um, you know, no one's going to be breaking any laws under under GDPR or, or any other uh, any other legal rulings like the Computer Misuse Act of 1998. Um, as I say, because we're accessing open source intelligence, uh, gathering data from uh, you know publicly available uh, information uh, locations, and then doing due diligence and good governance around that information and presenting that to our clients to help them understand um, where what actions that they need to take to minimise their risk posture. And I think again, you know, in all of this, um, you know, when when you go into business, you know, if, if you if you if you buy a house, you know, it's very rare that you buy a house without seeing the house beforehand and having a survey done. Um, it's very rare that you would take out a mortgage without checking the terms and conditions of that mortgage and agreeing the the the, the rate of the rate of interest that you're going to and the amount of money you're going to pay back on that mortgage. So, you know, frankly speaking, um, you know, doing due diligence and good governance by conducting a hostile profile on potentially on a, on a new company that you're going to be doing business with or indeed on, a, on, a, on your own organization to find out how maybe your organization may look to the external, uh, the external market and in particular to um, organized criminals, we believe is very, very good practice. Um, you can deploy it throughout your supply chain, as we said before, as much as you can deploy it, deploy it within, uh, and within your supply chain, supply chain as well. Um, and I think, again, it goes without saying that when you know the risks, uh, that you're facing, then you can take uh, you can take minimising steps or steps to minimise the uh, the damage that may be caused by those risks that you've identified. Next slide, please, Morgan. Uh, I always like this slide. Um, trust is good, but control is better. Um, it may sound a bit sinister. Um, that was actually a a, a, a very uh, famous Lenin by by uh, famous saying by Lenin. Um, but in actual fact, the correct translation. Um, if, if you know you're Russian, and I must admit I'm not a Russian linguist, is trust but check. And uh, and again, um, apologies to uh, to uh, the, uh, the the famous uh, John Lennon. Uh, but uh, imagine all the people 
in, in terms of the fact that, uh, you know, that who may, may, since you look at this picture and their first pass, maybe that it's uh, Daniel Radcliffe and it's not. So I think, again, you know, always check, uh, you know, always trust on, on first pass, perhaps, but always check the details thereafter to make sure that uh, who you're dealing with is, is what you're dealing with. Um, in terms of what's in it for you, I think the benefits of hostile profiling uh, are, are quite clear. I think that, you know, maximizing return is an obvious one. I think exposing bias within an organization is quite important. Um, I think deepening resilience is, is, is equally as important as it is indeed, uh, you know, uh, exposing blind spots and uh, maximizing return. And certainly from a strategy viewpoint, it's also a great way as well of, in, uh, we, we would argue, of, uh, you know, of actually showing that your, that your marketing strategy is actually in, in, in line with, uh, with, with where you want it to be. Because in fact, if your name's, uh, if your firm's name's being promoted on the, on, on, on open source, uh, platforms, then that could well be an indication that your actually strategy is heading in the right direction. Equally speaking, it could also indicate that perhaps your strategy isn't working if it means that you're going to potentially get exposed and lose things of value in the process. Uh, next slide, please. So this is an interesting one about insider threats, and this is quite a motive area. Uh, I think quite often that, uh, you know, that when we're, we've been talking about looking at um, the external facing world, um, these are all... Uh, I know that percentages are always quite a debatable point, but I think that what's quite interesting about these facts here uh, that are presented by the Chartered Institute of Auditors uh, and others, that 43% of, of, uh, of data breaches are caused by insiders. Now, that's roughly split 50-50 between data breaches caused by insiders that are malicious and, and, and the rest caused by insiders that are due to human error. I think as well that it also shows you as well that 57% of data breaches, despite the investments that many firms have made in very robust or what they perceive to be very robust security investments and policies, 50%, 57% of data breaches are still caused by external forces. And again, you know, if you understand who the external parties are that may be targeting your organization in advance, then we would argue that it gives you a much better chance of being more resilient and ensuring that they're not successful in obtaining things of value. Next slide, please. And who is the average insider? Well, what's, what's quite interesting about this is that the average insider is someone who is typically a loyal employee for five years before they become an insider. What's worryingly is that insiders are typically detected 33 months after committing fraud. So just think about that for a second. That's not from day one. That's 33 months after they've been committing fraud. 51% of insiders are managers or above. 88% of insiders are permanent staff rather than contractors. 7% join a company to deliberately cause, uh, cause fraud. 89% of insiders have no previous criminal convictions, which again is an interesting statistic in itself. And many insiders emerge from disaffected, uh, disaffected, uh, employees often caused by a toxic manager. Given the fact at the moment that we're also going through, you know, this really changing time with COVID-19, and I think it's important to stress that people do change. They change in our experience caused by events uh, that sometimes are outside of their control uh, and also uh, change as a result of, uh, you know, being potentially being compromised because they have put themselves in a difficult place, maybe through social habits or by their lifestyle away from work. The fact that you've got 7% of people joining a company to deliberately cause um, you know, cause harm or, or, or cause fraud. Again, if I hadn't have had personal experience of this uh, at my previous employer, you know, I would have kind of uh, 
being very skeptical about that. But what's quite interesting about that is that that means that 93% of the people that uh, join the company turn up from day one with an intent to just do their job and, 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 and be good company citizens. Um, again, you know, when you consider the fact that um, all the clients that we deal with have very, uh, you know, very rigorous HR uh, and recruiting processes and policies, it does make you wonder as to, you know, how it is that uh, at a time when we're, we're talking continually about, in, uh, you know, recognizing the individual uh, and looking at, um, you know, looking at uh, mental health issues, for example, particularly throughout the pandemic, there's been a great awareness about it. How is it that people are becoming disaffected by caused by, you know, by toxic managers or by, by, by companies being perhaps very robust with the employees when they are now working in a hybrid working environment that's been brought about by the, uh, the changes caused by COVID-19? And we're going to come to an example on that in a short while uh, where, um, you know, uh, we'll, we'll talk a bit more about hostile profiling where that hasn't been applied in an appropriate manner. Um, next slide, please. The truth is inconvenient. Um, Morrison's a, a brand name that I suspect that most of you know. Uh, certainly, the UK is a leading uh, UK supermarket chain. Um, Andrew Skelton is the gentleman in the in the picture below you. Um, Andrew Skelton is uh, is perhaps uh, infamous, uh, or maybe infamous, um, for the fact that uh, back in 2013 um, he was uh, disciplined by Morrison's for conducting uh, an online business using Morrison's uh, IT. Uh, uh, infrastructure and assets to run that business. Um, and uh, <clears throat> he was subsequently, uh, he was a senior uh, IT auditor um, and been at the firm for quite some time, very trusted and respected, but uh, he ran a separate business on the sideline. And uh, the reason, the only reason that he got caught by Morrison's was the fact that um, he was using the post room, um, to, uh, the Morrison's post room at head office in Bradford to send out um, his products to his customers and one of the parcels burst in the post room and, and they found a quantity of pills that they thought initially were illegal pills. He was actually selling legal highs. Um, the gentleman, got to, uh, uh, Andrew Skelton, got disciplined and he became very, um, very angry about that and in a malicious act um, posted over 100,000 uh, current and, and previous employee details on, on open chat rooms on the web. Um, which subsequently, um, uh, to, be, to Morrison's credit, when they found that out, they, they had him arrested. He was dismissed and he went to prison for eight years and he's due out uh, probably around about now, I think. Um, the reason that I mention this is that this case has only really um, concluded as recently as April 2020 because as a consequence of this act by um, Andrew Morrison, which Morrison's were completely unaware that he was running a business using their assets, to run this business whilst he was in their employment. Um, Morrison's were awarded £180,000 when he went to prison in damages. There was a class action lawsuit formed by over 9,000 former employees, I believe, is the total amount in question, that only recently was, was uh, finally dismissed by the Supreme Court uh, after a number of court challenges by the, uh, by the class action group because uh, Morrison's were ruled to be not vicariously liable for their employees' uh, bad behaviour. Um, I think that, you know, when you look at it, um, seven years down the line, it could be argued that would Morrison's prefer to maybe conduct a perhaps hostile profiling on their business as a matter, of course, to identify where maybe they could have identified wrongdoing in their organisation way beforehand. Um, it's a contentious point, and we're not looking to debate the, the ruling by the Supreme Court, which seems to be quite final on this matter, of course. Um, but again, I think it's something that highlights the dangers of, of, uh, of uh, not understanding or not knowing what your risks are. Next slide, please. 
this is a, a Tesla, and this is another interesting, uh, interesting uh, case that's taken that's still going on at the moment. So I'm kind of not really at liberty to kind of comment it in any any real, any real detail, uh, other than the fact that um, in July uh, 2019, um, this case was brought by by Tesla that said that um, in fact that uh, a, a former long-standing trusted and respected colleague. Um, who'd been working on their autopilot source code, um, had allegedly uh, stolen over 120,000 files, or over, sorry, over 300,000 files, I beg your pardon, had been taken in his time working on this project, which uh, took, took Tesla over five years and, and hundreds of millions of dollars to develop this autopilot um, source code and, and, and application. And this individual concerned actually went to work for... Um, uh, it's Tesla's contention that this individual went to work for Xping Motors, who, uh, who are a Chinese competitor um, to them, um, who's they're probably a, a, quite a big rival to their marketplace. Um, and you can see here the end result um, with this product that's uh, allegedly that Zheng Peng, uh, Xping Motors actually um, develops as a result of getting access to the source code presented at the Shanghai Motor Show in 2019. Um, what's quite interesting about this, uh, this is still a, a matter of ongoing. Uh, uh, legal action and, and investigation, but but uh, Tesla are quite clear that this individual and four others uh, were very actively engaged in, in in nefarious acts in securing uh, company information and IP, which they then traded in return for uh, for work at uh, Xping uh, uh, Motors, and that's a quite interesting case, I think, uh, to bear in mind. Next slide, please. Um, Again, H&M, uh, another well-known brand. This is probably a case I would, uh, you know, we would argue of how not to do it. Um, H&M have been, uh, have just been fined on the second largest ever fine under GDPR, uh, in the EU so far, which I think is $35 million. Um, the largest fine is actually, uh, Google with $50 million, uh, 50 million euros, I beg your pardon. Um, H&M actually conducted what you could call, uh, quite rightly, illegal surveillance of several hundred employees over a period of time by their managers, um, where managers basically inquired about their pattern of life uh, uh, situation on, on an individual basis, um, you know, asking how, how you're on, you know, finding out about family illnesses, uh, you know, maybe social problems and uh, plans and ambitions and, and, and all that kind of good stuff. And it was then documented in a file. That was then shared amongst managers uh, and used for purposes of then determining about who should leave the organisation or who should stay. And again, that's very highly Orwellian. And, it, and, I'm, and I'm delighted to see that uh, you know that this uh, was brought to light and, and H&M have been brought to book and punished accordingly uh, and, and taken to, into account for what, frankly speaking, is is not good practice by any stretch of the imagination. And again, you know, it's not what hostile profiling is supposed to be about. Um, but it is a great example, I feel, of how not to conduct hostile profiling at any point in time at all. Um, next question. Next slide, please. Right. Okay. So um, we've looked at hostile profiling. Um, we've looked at why we do hostile profiling. Um, we've covered why you need to do it now. Um, we've looked at the legalities of hostile profiling. And we've looked at the benefits that you get from hostile profiling. Um, I promise that I would, uh, if you go to the next slide, please. Um, you know. Thank you again for listening today. Um, you know, I promised you at the outset that I would help you, uh, I would aim to help you understand what hostile profiling was about and why, um, why, what, what the benefits are involved in hostile profiling. Um, I trust I've helped clarify that for you and that in, in a bit of better detail and where to get help if you, if you want it or indeed if you need it. Thank you for listening today.
and I appreciate your time. That's great. Thanks very much, Michael. Um, you can hear me okay then. Um, I particularly enjoyed the slide. What is it? Trust is good, but control is better, or trust but check. There's some, certainly some lessons for us there in our uh, professional and personal lives, perhaps. Um, we've got a lot of questions coming in, which is great. So, um, but let me let me start with one of my own. Actually, um, given the the photographs of the chap in the cafe, which I think we can all uh, associate with one way or another, um, how much more do you think are people um, being targeted in their home working environment? Um, do you think you know perhaps as a result of COVID and the fact that everyone everyone pretty much is working from home now? Well, that, that's a very good question, and, it, and you're right. It does pose that. You know, it does pose that that. Yeah, you know, that that picture does pose that issue. You know, we know that gentleman. You know, he's 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 working from a cafe because you know he's he's maybe not got access to facilities at home. But I think that in terms of your um your question, I think that it's it's without a doubt people are being more and more targeted away from the if you like from the sake of the home office environment because because you know all glass journals now know that there's probably a seventy five percent likelihood that you're going to be working from home rather than working from an office in the current period of time. Um. You know, whatever whatever the services and solutions that we're using for our respective employers, it's fair to say that these systems and security procedures that you've got in place in your home environment are nowhere near as robust as they would be, for example, in an office in a city. So I think, and it's probably easier to target someone uh, in their home environment, um, you know, just, just just in a way that organised criminals kind of target a, a house that's you know that's empty that, look, that's, that looks right to be burgled. And I think again, you know, it's exactly the same principle. Um, I think that going forward on that point again, James, um, whilst I think it's important that companies are taking the steps to kind of, you know, look after the well-being of their employees when they're working from home, I think, and, and, and you know, you don't want to set people, uh, you know, in a nervous state of mind about, you know, saying that you're being targeted, but I think that firms probably do need to do a bit more to help uh, their employees understand the importance of taking measures uh, and, and being more aware of their surroundings. Gentleman, I mean, he was doing nothing wrong. He was out in a coffee shop doing work. Um, you know, it was an opportunity, and I seized it. It, it could have been so horribly wrong if, if I'd have been a criminal actor. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Um, listen, thank you. We've got we've got a great we've got a really good question coming in. Here's one from uh, Alexa. Uh, it says uh, it says it seems to me that the encouraged use of style profiling, especially within one's company create a paradox where trust begins to be eroded from within organizations is this surely not a negative and what are, what are our options to stop this or is it simply inevitable that's a, that is a very good question you're right it can be seen as a paradox i think um what's quite interesting is you know getting back to the slide that we showed earlier on you know not everybody joins a company from day one with a view to committing fraud but people, people do change and people do commit fraud. So there's a very, very fine balance in power. If you look at the H&M case where managers clearly abuse their position of trust with their, with their, with their, their team members by, you know, asking personal details about their life in a way that, you know, that people do talk about, uh, you know, things in the workplace and then using that to document that for, you know, for unpleasant purposes. And they've been rightly punished for it. I think that having said that though, you know, surely though, if you look at Morrison's as an example, and again, I accept that it's a contentious point. Morrison's surely now, if, if we'd prefer to have known that a senior IT employee was conducting a business that placed their organization at risk some years down the line. So I think that, you know, there, there, there is a fine line around it. I think that, you know, 
we do need to be more proactive about it. But I think that fundamentally, you know, the steps that we do for most of our clients is actually looking at how criminal organizations are targeting a company externally. That doesn't necessarily always lead to an insider threat situation, but sometimes you may find that a criminal organization has a member inside a company. And that, again, is in itself is, is, is a source of concern because, as we said, 89% of people that commit insider threats or commit, or commit fraud inside a company did not have a criminal record from day one. Um, a couple of questions coming in from Bob. Uh, nice to hear from you again, Bob. Uh, first one is, uh, would you advocate spoofing or fictionalising your data as a means of protection? Can you explain whose data are we referring to, Bob? He'll come back with that one. Let me ask. Let me let me move on to a, another one uh, from Bob. I'm sure he'll say something interesting. You think that the average insiders have any kind of health or mental health issues, isn't it? Interesting one, given the current environment. So COVID-19 will undoubtedly exacerbate mental health problems in enterprise. That is a good question. And I think that um, it sounds a bit of a cliche, but people change. And people change caused by um, circumstances um, that can be health-related uh, as much as anything else. There could be you know, social issues. So, yes, it is, it is quite true that uh, an insider could be someone who's a perfectly, you know, you know, for want of a better word, a decent, upstanding, upright citizen or individual within an organisation can change uh, caused by, by by circumstances. And that may well be that, you know, they could well be perhaps, you know, get mental health issues caused by, uh, you know, maybe bullying behaviour by a colleague or a manager or indeed by circumstances that affect them outside of work where maybe, you know, ill health of themselves or, or family or loved one, uh, uh, you know, could, could well impact their ability. So, you know, getting back, you know, so answering that question, that's why I'm saying that it's not quite as black and white sometimes uh, as I think one of the previous uh, Alexa asked earlier on about the paradox. I think that, you know, you need to have all of the facts at your hand and, and make informed decisions around that. Mm. Bob's just come back, actually. He said basically when he's talking about the spoofing or fictionalization of data, he's talking about his own data, for example. It, uh, wasn't there an incident on uh, some social media recently where someone tried to catch someone out by narrowing down who they sent it to? Well, I mean, it depends in which context you're, you're suggesting, Bob, that you, you, you spoof your data. I mean, if you're looking to spoof your data with a view to getting a job in the company, then I wouldn't encourage that in any way, shape or form at all. So the answer is no. Right. Hang on, let's just jump to another one here. Over a second. Okay, this is a long question. So uh, this is from uh, John. It says, one would assume that with rising political polarisation, and the uncertainty around Brexit. Okay, forgot about that. Um, COVID mm. and, and many other modern day issues, the tensions are at an all time high. Have you witnessed any trends emerging or an acceleration in hostile profile, profiling of late? So I understand as well there's a lot more tension in, in society at the moment. We obviously with politics, let alone with the current pandemic and, and all the uncertainty around people's employment status as well. And that's having massive impact, I think, and that comes back again to the question I learned about mental health issues, about where people perhaps are, are, are maybe getting polarised or very uncertain about events. In terms of the last part of the question, can you just repeat the last sentence of that question for me, James? I just want to hear that again before I reply. So let me read it, let me read it back to you again without my interjection. So one would assume that with rising political polarisation and the uncertainty around Brexit, COVID and the many, many other modern day issues, tensions are... It's an all-time high. 
Uh, so one would assume that they're an all-time Have you witnessed any trends emerging or an acceleration in hostile profiling of late? Yes. Yeah, I think you touched on because that it is. as well. Yeah. yeah. I think it's people, I think again, you know, I think in the same way that um, maybe as employees are uncertain about their, 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 their kind of work and social moral compass in these times of change and challenge, you know, I think it's sometimes easy to forget that, that leaders of companies and directors of companies go through the same kind of anxieties and doubts as well. You know, we're all humans at the end of the day. And I think that what, you know, what the current situation has shown us, you know, along with Brexit and COVID and all that, that entails, and that no one is immune to these, to the impact uh, of the, of these challenges to, to what, and I hate to use this phrase, about what was deemed to be normal beforehand. Um, and I think that that's something that I think, again, getting back to Alexa's question earlier on, that there, there are many paradoxes around this, and it's not always a black and white and open and shut case. But having access to the information, as we said earlier on, and knowing in advance what you need to know means that you can take informed decisions about what you need to take decisions about and improve your resilience by making informed decisions ahead of the curve rather than reacting to events. And in our experience, and this is something I should have said earlier on, it's not always a given that we're called in to help clients before the event. It's a lot easier to fix things before they happen. It's very difficult to fix things after they're done. Um, this is from uh, Simone. Uh, Simone asks, is this type of service legal? Yes, it is legal because we're not committing any crimes. We're using open source intelligence gathering. Uh, and and, and uh, you know, I think, as I, hopefully, as I illustrated earlier on today, you know, we're, uh, we're just accessing and analyzing data that is publicly available through open legal sources and then coming, uh, coming to the table with a conclusive conclusion, if you like, about what that data may well mean for the individual or the companies concerned. Yeah, and perhaps in terms of uh, the, the process, I've got a question here from uh, from Ian. Uh, and Ian asks, why might a criminal organisation target my employees for access to our data and IP? It may well be that that's a good, that's a good question, Bob. I think that if you, it may well be that the criminals feel that targeting the individuals to compromise them, to carry out their acts, is a far safer way of getting into an organisation, an easier way to get into an organisation than maybe then trying to hack through an, uh, an organisation's, shall we say, very robust cybersecurity defences. Uh, and also the chance of them getting caught, uh, I would hasten to add, is, is remote. If the employee gets caught, well, that's just a casualty of war. Um, so I think that, you know, that, frankly speaking, criminals are, you know, criminals don't operate in a way, as I'm sure you, you know, Bob, from, from your own experience. Um, that criminals don't act in a way that that, that, that is very uh, that, that companies operate in. Perhaps perhaps related. There's a question from uh, is it a Shanika. Um, uh, is um, most hostile profiles focus on companies or individuals? Do most hostile pro sorry is the question? Do most hostile profiles focus on companies or individuals? Is that in terms of the service that we carry out, or in, or in terms of in general? Uh, probably in general, there's no more to the question than that, I'm afraid. Okay. Um, most of the engagements that we work on are company-led hostile profile uh, investigations. So a company will engage us to typically um, understand what their risk posture is and how they look externally to a criminal organisation or indeed a state actor. 
uh, would look at it. And, and in case of inexplicable illness, a state actor is a, is a government a government organisation or government financed organisation that's engaged in uh, espionage. Thank you. I think we may have one more question, uh, or time for one more question. Um, uh, and um, that is, uh, oh, hang on, I think I've read that one out already, so um, bear with me. Just think. I've got one more from Bob, actually, who's uh, a very active participant today. Just bear with me. Yes, indeed. Uh, oh, <laughs> this is an interesting one. If there are data matters uh, which you, over which you have no concern, so perhaps support for extreme regimes, strange practices, etc., does it matter? Can you repeat that question again? I didn't quite. Yeah, so if, if there are data matters uh, over which you have no concern, um, and so whether it's uh, support for extreme regimes or strange practices, does it matter? Uh, I guess is there a concern that maybe people are, it's maybe it's a big brother type question. So are, are we saying that if, if, if I've got an interest on, there's data around extreme organisations. So the question still clear to me. I mean, is this in relation to a company, or we're we talking about individuals? Uh, I think. Uh, Bob, if you if you're still there, if you can give me a little bit more on that, to be fair. Um, uh, yeah, it's I think not quite clear. I mean, okay. yeah. I, so I, 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 think... I guess we've got one more from uh, from Peter. Uh, Peter's asking, what are the type of issues that are found when uh, when uh, conducting a hostile program? They're quite varied. We found out, as I said before, we've uh, we found out that people are not who they say they are. So they're basically employed under under a false identity. That in itself again is an issue. We found people that are that are in, in fact in regulated firms, uh, for example, people that have been declared bankrupt, and that and that was not a known fact. We found people that with uh, you know unfortunately with social habits that means that the you know that that that, that are quite uh, that are legal. That means that they are you know potentially. Uh, risk of compromise. We found people are actually conducting full-blown fraud inside an organization. You know, they vary quite extensively when you actually look inside inside a firm and you find that maybe the trail leads to, maybe from externally from the firm, leads to, leads to the trail inside the, inside the firm, almost like a trail of breadcrumbs sometimes. Um, and, you know, for one for one thing, you know, we're, we're, we're not employed to be judge and jury about what we find. I mean, it's for a company to make a decision about what they do with, with the information that's presented to them. But certainly if you find that you know, and again, getting back to my own experience in, in, in the beginning of this, to actually find that someone um, is is actually, you know, not who they say they are and employed by a competitor, to actually steal information from uh, from the employer that you're working for, you know, that's that in itself is quite, a, you know, is, is a big issue. It, it's illegal and it's fraud. Um, but I think that, you know, for a company to then take appropriate actions and measures, which in this case, uh, you know, the case that I recounted at the beginning of the presentation, uh, my then employers did was the right action a course of action to take. Okay, um, I think we're running out of time, but I'll, I'll just squeeze hopefully one more quick one in, which is sort of related. Uh, this is from Scott. Thank you, Scott. Uh, attempts at hacking seem to be increasing. How effective are these techniques? Are they succeeding? The techniques are always evolving, and and the techniques are the techniques at well. The techniques are always evolving and they are successful within reason. I think that, you know, I think that what, what we've learned is that the criminal, criminal organizations are extremely well funded by and large. They've got access to great skills. And I think that as time goes on, as we're seeing through the current pandemic, when there's been quite a big increase in particular types of, uh, of, of hacking or, 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 uh, or attacks on organizations, using the individuals 
or, or so people clicking on links, for example, um, that they've been sent by uh, people that they trust. That actually allows organisations, criminal organisations, access into access into into their company is probably the quickest way of getting into an organisation. So things like you know, malware and ransomware, I think, are becoming you know quite at the moment are seeing massive increases. And again, back to your point earlier on, James, I know we're just running up on top on time. That reflects also as well the fact that the criminals are targeting the individuals because they know that the individuals are generally, by and large, isolated and working from home. They're not sitting alongside their peers. And it's actually quite difficult to say, look, I've got this. What do you think? You know, look over my shoulder. Does this look legit to you? Should I click on it or not? People are making decisions based upon the fact that they're being targeted in isolation. And that is an important consequence of where we are right now around the hybrid way of working from home situation caused by COVID. Uh, thanks, Michael. I think that's a great place to finish, actually. Funnily enough, there were two or three questions just coming in right at the end there, but we, we really are out of time. So I would encourage those questions. Um, uh, they've got Michael's details uh, on the slide that will be posted soon. Uh, I'm sure, Michael, you'd be happy to take those directly. Always um, have questions on this, James. Thank you. So, uh, again, thank you so much, for, Michael, for that in, uh, incredible, incredibly insightful presentation. Um, thank you, everyone, for uh, for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed uh, the webinar. And uh, on screen, you can see uh, the next ones we've got coming up. There's sort of some examples, rather, of next ones uh, coming up next week. Um, and, um, you know, we do hope that you or colleagues will be able to join us for those. So, um, finally, to wrap up, thank you again, Michael. Thank you for Morgan for arranging all the logistics. Thank you for everyone for joining us. Please do feel free to, uh, you know, join us for future webinars and go back over the ones we've done as well. Thank you for having me, James. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye.